over the past year and a half been focusing on the Christ. And last year we spent majority of the year looking at the shadow of Christ from the Old Testament and seeing how um, just some, I mean, you know, we scratched the surface of of all the, the indicators from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, regarding the, the coming of Christ and who Messiah would be and what his nature would be and what then Christ would look like. And then we transitioned from the shadow of Christ into the life of Christ and talking about his birth, his uh, youth, his ministry and such. And then we looked to, through, after we looked through the, 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 the crucifixion and such of Christ, we looked at the return of Christ and then transitioned into the reign of Christ. And as we looked at the reign of Christ, clearly we talked about the physical and eternal reign of Christ. But then we talked about the, the, the temporal reign of Christ in our hearts, the spiritual reign of Christ in our hearts. And coming out of that, we began looking at then the reflection of Christ. And we saw that if Christ, when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it'll be reflected in, in your life. So that what we say, how we live, will be a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And so if Christ is residing, reigning in my heart, then he's going to be reflected in my life. That when people look at me, though they may not understand, they're seeing Jesus, they're going to be seeing a reflection of Jesus and, and what what he should be. And so my life should be then pointing toward him. Sadly, the case is that most for most Christians, that's not the case. Um, that basically what you see is what you get. You know, that's who they are. And so for us, though, who are followers of Christ, it should be our desire that we are living as reflections of Christ. And if that's the case individually, it is also the case collectively that as we come together as a bunch of individual believers, um, as the church, the group of called out ones, that we are reflecting Christ as well corporally. And I, I like using the word corporally rather than corporately. Corporately always sounds is, is more of a business concept, whereas corporeal refers to the body. And so the, 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 the scriptures refer to us as a body many times. And as we look then at the reflection the corporate, corporeal reflection, the collective reflection, we saw that, that God uses the, the descriptions of um, that we are the building of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, we're the body of Christ. And as we looked at those things, we saw how the body was supposed to interact with one another, that we are all, um, though one body, we have many members. And that the body, if without the, the interactions of the members, without the members being functioning within the body, the body it can do nothing. And so we began then looking at the, the interactions of the church, and we looked at loving one another, serving one another. Last week we looked at bearing with one another, not being bears to one another, but bearing with one another. And today we want to go on to that next phase, um, and you can see up there already receiving one another, because last week as we considered the topic of bearing with one another, it really has a negative context you know, or, or sound to it that I'm, I'm putting up with you. Does that make sense? And, and we, how we talked last week in the introduction that, that though I'm supposed to love and serve you, there clearly are times when you, it doesn't matter what size of assembly that you attend, okay, whether it's small or whether it's a large one, there are times when you're going to come in contact with other believers or people who even claim to be believers, whatever, okay, within the body of Christ that you just don't what? You just don't like. You don't get, a, get along with. Your personality is just... Rub the wrong way, you know, but it's not an out, you know, as you know, like when I do marital counseling and I, you know, and usually when you have marital counseling, it's not because people just want to continue to grow in their relationship together and in their relationship with Christ. Normally when I'm involved with marital counseling it's because they don't want to grow in their relationship anymore. They'd rather, you know, gone. And so I'll always love to ask the question. So do you love your spouse? And the answer always is what? Uh, no, 
no, no, marital counseling, come on, everybody. It's, it's, we're, we're at this point where they're saying, no, no, I don't. We can set appointments for you guys, though. I mean, I'd love to meet with somebody who loves their spouse already. That'd be kind of fun, you know. Um, and so, anyways, normally it's no, I, I don't, I don't love my spouse, you know. And I'll, I'll pick on the husband and just say for the wife, I don't love the wife. And I say, well, can can you love her as as you know, kind of like a friend, you know? Can you can you see her from the friend's kind of perspective? No, I don't see her as a friend. I said, really, you kind of see her more like an enemy, then, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I said, well, you know, I'll quote to you something Jesus said. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. So guess what? You don't have a, an out. I don't care whether you love her as a wife, love her as a friend, or love her as an enemy. Your call is to love. And so, so using that concept, bringing it into the assembly, you know, it may not be my wife. It may not be someone I look as a friend. It may just be somebody who I see as a very much of an irritant, you know. And so, but I'm still called to what? To love that person and serve that person. And I'm supposed to go the next step of bearing with that person. And we talk about the characteristics even of bearing with somebody else. And um, we talked about the humility. Um, we talked about the, the faithfulness but the, in self-examination. But the one that we talked about at the end, which is really the biggest one for us, is the, the characteristic of long-suffering. We like short suffering. We like non-existent suffering. We, we like pleasurable suffering. You know, you know, I'm eating the donuts this morning and I'm suffering for the name of Jesus. You know, and that's the kind of suffering that we want to have. You know, and um, but the Bible talks about that we're supposed to have long suffering for one another. People always want to know what long is. I was thinking about this after the fact that you know, there's always illustrations that you want to share and you forget to share and. I, I know when I, I pre- teach on 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about that women should have long hair, men shouldn't, you know. And that just by itself is a real cultural anathema thing. But anyways, but women always want to know what what's long. And, and I always like to, to read from the book of um, Revelation, where it talks about the, 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 the lion, you know, who had the hair of a woman, you know. And I say, stop. What do you picture right now? On that lion, you know, the, the the long hair of a woman. I said, that's what your definition is of long. It doesn't matter what my definition is. It's what your definition was before God. And so, same concept here, long-suffering. What's the concept of long-suffering? Well, you just defined it. We were just talking about long hair. And so just translate that now into time, okay? So so whatever you pictured right there was the concept of, of long. Was it butch haircut? Probably not. And so it was probably something a little bit longer, and I'm not going to define it, whether it was below the ears, whether it was to the shoulder, or whether it was down to the, to the, to the buttocks. You defined long for yourself. But long is not what? Buzz cut. Would we agree with that? Yeah? Okay. So long suffering. And so we're bearing with one another. We're bearing each other's burdens. And you know what? Bearing up with other people takes a long time. Well, that's all sounds negative, doesn't it? Well, there's a positive side that we, we, we kind of tinged on some of these things last week, but I knew that we're coming into the side of it, and that is that it shouldn't be ultimately in the body that I'm just bearing up with you, but ultimately I should be growing in my relationship with Christ, in my reflection of Christ individually, bringing it into the assembly, that I'm not just putting up with you, but rather I am 
receiving you, or the word is accepting you as well. And so in this concept of receiving one another, we want to look, first of all, at the exhortation. Right here in Revelation 14, I, I, we've been doing a lot of topical, and I, I really am out of my zone when I do topical messages. I, I really love to get into a, a passage. And, and so this is kind of fun this week because I get to teach on a whole chapter and a half and throw in some others. And so I hope, since we're having a family day, it's really no problem. We're planning on having dinner anyway. If I get too long, like an hour and a half or two from now, you can just go grab yourself a plate of food, bring it back out, and, and we just, yeah, yeah, huh? <laughs> Anyways, because you know it's going to take me an hour to preach on three verses. I've got, an hour and a, uh, I've got a chapter and a half. So this is kind of fun. But in this command, with exhortation, is right there in verse 1, that we're told right off the bat that we are supposed to receive those who are weak in the, the faith. Okay? The word for receive there is the word proslambano. And um, for those of you who have taken the Greek class, you understand that the word lambano can be taken as two different ways. Okay? Lambano can either mean to take or it can mean to receive. Okay? It's both the same action. It's just a matter of the volitional side of it. I'm either snagging this Bible from Hannah, okay? I'm taking it from her, or, help me out for a moment, pick it up, and she hands it to me, so I'm what? I'm receiving, or I am accepting it. Receiving, accepting it. See the, the concept is there? Okay, so one is, I'm just snagging it from her, but very clearly, we're not, to- that's not the, 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 the context of this passage, that I'm not supposed to, what, take the weak, you know, that's not the idea, is that I'm supposed to accept them, I'm supposed to receive them, and the word pros in front of it, the, the, the preposition pros means to, toward. So I am supposed to, to accept toward them. I'm supposed to be toward them accepting. Does that make sense? That it's, it's a volitional thing on my side that I'm supposed to be involved in, and I'm supposed to be proactive, and that when this person who is weak in the faith is there within the body, that I'm not supposed to be and, and, and condescending toward them. And, but rather, I'm supposed to be, as we talked about last week, humbly seeking to receive them. Not just bear up with them, but rather going to the next step and seeing them from the eyes of Christ. Because in verse 3, and it's funny how you know you can study something and, and miss it, miss it, miss it. So Steve was reading it this morning, right just a few minutes ago, and went, Ah, it's right there. And I turned around to Jessica. I said, you got Greek on that thing? She said, yes. I said, I want to see verse 3. Anyways, and so we're in verse 3. Christ said, we're told that Christ did what? He received us, prosimbano. Same, same word that's there, that we are supposed to receive others. And we're going to talk about this in a moment anyway from Revelation, or Revelation Romans 15, verse 7, that we are supposed to receive others just as Christ received us. And so the command is to receive one another. And we see that here in verse 1, verse 3, and then drop down to chapter 15, verse 7. It says, Therefore, receive one another, just as what? Christ also received, proslambano, us, to the glory of of God. So, now, so this command we have then to receive one another, but we have to ask the question, what does it mean to receive? What does it mean to receive one another? Well, first of all, it entails... Not judging others. So we look at Romans 14 here, and we see right off the bat that when it says that we're supposed to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not the disputes over doubtful things, and we'll come back to that. One believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him not eat, let him not, who, 
eats, despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat, for God has received him. Who are you to judge one another's servants? And so he goes on and, and talks about these different areas where someone does one thing and the other one doesn't do that thing. And he says, but don't be judging. To where he comes down in verse 13, and he summarizes his, therefore, let us not judge one another. What's the next word? Anymore. What does the word anymore mean? You're already doing it. I could change it around a little bit. And I could get rid of the word anymore and put in a, a command in the beginning. And the command would have been what? Stop. Stop judging one another. He says, quit judging one not be judging anybody anymore. But interestingly, you don't have this word judge again in your verse, but it's right there. And it says, but rather resolve, if you would, it's the same Greek word, krino, judge this. Rather make the assessment, if you would, this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Instead of making assessments, determinations, judgments, condemnations of others who are in the body, rather make the condemnation, the assessment, the determination on yourself. And that is that you will not be a stumbling block or a cause and offense to somebody else in the body. Rather than looking at somebody else and condemning them for what they don't believe, or what they do believe, because it's totally, like we talked about last week, it's different than what you believe. And we'll come back to caveats in a moment, okay? Instead of looking at them and putting them under your scope of justice, rather turn justice, if you would, to yourself. And see them from the eyes of Christ, who has already himself received them, has gone out and accepted them and brought them to himself. And looking at them in the same light, then seeking not to put the rock of offense or stone of stumbling in front of them. If it's eating meat, and that when they see you eat meat, now I understand happen in our culture this way, okay? But place yourself back over in the, the Corinthian culture or the Roman culture where they worshipped false gods and they went up to the temples and they sacrificed. And the meat that was offered into the, in the marketplaces was meat that was offered unto idols, okay? And so if I'm living in that culture, okay, and, and I went down to the market and I bought meat, didn't bother me because all things, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 10 tells me that all things that are, are, are of God anyway, right? And so I give thanks for it. And I just go ahead and eat it. It doesn't bother me at all. But you were just saved from one of these false cults, one of these false things. If you see me buying the meat in the marketplace that was just offered to Jupiter or just offered to Hermes or just offered to Aphrodite, right? And you see me eat it, and by my eating it, it gives a little bit of attestation to the validity of of who that god goddess was. And so that person thinks, oh, it's okay to be involved in false worship at the same time of worshiping God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, what does the, what does the table of demons have to do with the table of the Lord? It has nothing to do with it. And so here in Romans 14, he says, listen, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I would rather not eat meat. So instead of me, Condemning you 
for being weak and not being able to eat the meat. Golly, don't you understand that God created everything and a God is nothing? I mean, it's just that demon. It's nothing. That's not God. There's only one true God, creators of heaven and the earth. He formed all things and he didn't form them in vain, but he formed them to be inhabited. And he has a purpose and you're part of the purpose and he came and redeemed you and get over the meat thing. And that's how we live sometimes, don't it? Because I have what? Liberty. I have liberty. I have Christian liberty. I can do whatever I choose to do. But as we saw last week, we saw that our Christian liberty was not given into for occasion to our own flesh, but rather, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, but rather it was given to us so that we can serve one another. I'm not bound by the law, but not so I can do whatever I want to do, and not so I can feed my own flesh but rather so I can be free to serve. And I don't have to worry about whether I'm offending God by seeking to please you. And so, the first caveat here, the first part of this, seeking to receive you, and the command to receive you and accept you, is if I'm really earnest in doing that, I'm not going to seek to judge you. Rather, I'm going to, on the positive side, try not to put a stumbling block in your place. And that's where Romans 15 then talks about until seeking to please others. In Romans 15, then the beginning of 15, coming out of this concept of not judging one another and not putting a stumbling block in the path of one another, we read, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples, we talked about that last week, the scruples, the weaknesses, the infirmities of the weak, and not to please, the word is a resco, I'll come back to the moment, ourselves. Let each of us please um, his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For God did not please himself, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And so this concept of pleasing others. Well, I want to come back and I want to define this word please for a moment because, again, I can go off on the tangent and, and worry now about being totally um, prohibitive here in my thoughts. Because now it's I'm, I'm worrying about pleasing you and everything, you know, and, and you're not pleased by that. So now all of a sudden I've got to worry about what? Walking on eggshells. I've got to do everything so that I'm, I'm pleasing you. In Acts chapter 6, let me read you a passage here, which um, you all know from the, the points where they, they chose the disciples. It says, The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable, Aresco. It's not pleasing. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. What's the concept there? That it was just a pleasurable experience according to the flesh? No, that it was what? It was what was best. It was... A desirable effect. So when I look at then you, I'm not looking at, well, this is just what you like. It's what then makes you pleasing in the sight of the Lord. This word uoresco, okay, which is related to it, is used almost predominantly toward God, that we would be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Does that make sense? Well, what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord? Or what? When are you most pleasurable in the eyes of God? When you're walking in what? Walking in His will, when you're walking in faith, holiness. Holiness. 
that you're being set apart. And because you're walking in His will, you're walking in faith, you're walking according to His word, you're seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ, you're seeking to grow in His grace and knowledge, you're pleasing in the eyes of God. When your heart is right and you're moving, that's, you're, you're pleasing, you, and so you're, you're seeking to please God. Well, it's the same concept that we bring into here now. And so we're told that Christ Himself didn't even seek to please Himself. Well, Jesus said that in the Gospels. He said that he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the Father's will. He came to please the Father. Now, the concept then of seeking to please you rather than pleasing me means, again, going back a couple weeks, that I'm seeking to what? Serve you. Because of my love for you, and the word love there is the word agapao, not eros, not phileo, but it's selfless love that I am placing myself under you, that your value is more is, is greater than mine, your needs are more important than mine, and that that is the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of servant. You understand. And so having that mind of Christ then, that I am seeking to be a servant to you, that I am seeking then in my life to be pleasing to you. Now, again though, we could... Uh, have an issue with that. The comparative that we saw both in verse 3 of chapter 14 and verse 7 of chapter 15 was that we ought to do it as Christ received us. So that just as Christ received me, I ought to be seeking to receive others. So, here's the question, here's the, the question, here's the analogy, if you would, the comparative. When you got, when you first were saved, now I'm gonna get rid of you who were saved at the age of 3, 4, 5, because really there wasn't a whole lot that you knew at that moment. You were just kind of following in the path. And that's not, I'm not diminishing that, but you'll understand in a moment. But take you ones who were saved in your older teenage years, your, your adult years. Were you walking according to the, the, the commands of the Lord at that time? I mean, were you a righteous, moral individual? No, not at all. I mean, you become God for a moment, instead of blaming it on Bob again. So you become God, okay? And you look down at you. What do you think of you? Ugh. You know? I mean, how would you receive you? Were you palatable? What if you came walking in right now? Not you, but you understand, the you from years ago. What if you came walking in the door right now? What would you think of you? Would you receive you? God did. Jesus did. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it amazing? I remember the day when Woody Prophet came to visit us on the Tuesday night. I, I wasn't thinking straight. You know, when we went, attended the church and he was there and he preached and he asked me afterwards if they could come visit. And I said, sure. You know, sure. You know, yeah, you can come visit. He did. And, you know, he showed up. And Marge and I were, I know, I'm not going to say what, anyways, but we, we were dressed like we were unsaved, okay? I mean, we were just, we were there, you know? And Connie, you're not allowed to talk about how we talked back then, okay? Connie knows us from when we were unsaved, okay? I mean, we, our first Bible study we ever did was with Greg and Connie and stuff like that, and, you know, Jessica was born and Jenny was born, and anyways, and so if you want to find out what my mouth was like, you talk to Greg. He still hangs out with me. Figure that one out. Anyways, and so, anyways, we were unsaved. You know? And so I can think back of what Bob looked like and what Bob talked like and how Bob treated his wife. It's a little bit better now, isn't it? Just a little bit better. Anyways, um, and, and I think about if Bob came walking through the door, 
What would I think of Bob? What would you guys think of Bob? You know, people look, you know, you know I talk to this kids at CEF, and they, they can't get a grip on the fact that what I was like, that, that, that couldn't be. That's what, it's a different life ago. I mean, I, I always talk about BC, not Bob Corbin, before Christ. I mean, it's just, you know, two different people that are there, okay? And I still struggle with things, and you still struggle with things, but still, hopefully, you can look back at the landscape of your life and say, there's a major difference between what I used to be and what I am now. Well, that's how we're supposed to be treating others in the body. Clearly, not everybody is at the spiritual status that you are at. I understand that you're just a step below Jesus at this moment, and I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, okay? But sometimes we act that way without really meaning to. Sometimes we can act that way. That you know, We forget that it is God who worked in us to, to will and do of his good pleasure, and that the one who promised that he would continue to work in us to the day of Jesus Christ has been doing that. And so that's not me who's been able to continue this spiritual growth thing, and I'm just really awesome in my prowessness of spirituality. But it's God working in me and conforming me and, and developing me and changing me. And so there's no pride in it. It's all humility. I'm, I'm still a work. Apart from the grace of God, working is work in me. And so when I look at somebody who's in a different state of that process, you know, we go went to the pottery uh, people a couple months ago, you know, um, and uh, and watched them do the the making the the pots and the urns and stuff like that. It's just amazing to, to go from this little square thing of clay to with five minutes later you got this, this fancy thing going on. You know, well clearly they're they're at different states and, and positions. You know, and of, of being worked on, and God's doing that with every single lump of clay here. But am I willing to accept your lump for as it is? Am I willing to receive it? Well, I need to have the mind of Christ to not judge you, to seek to please you, just as Jesus didn't judge you. He could have. He could have condemned me. I, I am so worthy of condemnation. Even today, I mean, apart from God's grace, I, I'm, I, I am nothing. I deserve hell. You know, people say, you know, why do I deserve this? I say, do you understand what you really do deserve? <laughs> and we're, we're thinking about it. Well, I don't deserve this. You're right. You deserve a whole lot worse. But we think we're something special sometimes, and we forget. We forget. And we're always continually called back by Christ to not forget, to remember who we are, and that it's only his grace that has done it for us. Well, that's the exhortation. The exhortation is to receive one another. But then we have these exception clauses, don't you? I mean, whenever you have a contract and you have all these things, you always have what? Exception clauses. Except for in the event of, well, we passed one by. And the, the first exception here is disputable matters. Because back in verse 1, we saw, receive, proslambano, one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. The word um, dispute can mean debate, it can mean dispute, it can mean discussions. Um, the word doubtful things can mean, again, disputes. It can be imaginations, it can be thoughts, it can be reasons, okay? It's used that way in, throughout the, the New Testament, okay? And the concept here, though, is we're not supposed to argue over debatable or disputable matters. Now, there are a lot of times when a new believer gets saved. And, and they struggle with legalism as a young believer. It's easy for us to follow after certain rules. Yes? Dum -dum 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 -dum. But on the other side, 
It's also, you see a lot of young believers who are wallowing in licentiousness because they don't know. Does that make sense? Okay, I mean, it's just, go figure, God saved them as they were. You know? I mean, I don't know about you, but God didn't put a, excuse me, a list out for me and tell me that I had to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop cussing. You know, I needed to start loving my wife properly, stop stop stealing government pens and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, for those of you in the military. And uh, that, that I had to do all these things before that he would what? Before he'd save me. Well, you know, honestly, if I reformed myself, why do I need to be transformed? But God took me as I, as I was, with my short shorts and my, my, anyways, we'll go there. So, with all who Bob was, that's how God took me. Okay? And then, slowly, he starts to transform me. You know, when he, when he started cleaning up my music, it was my life. He didn't wipe me out. He took away my satanic rock. Death, Le- Death Leopard and, and ACDC and all that they, they had to go. I mean, I just, you know, I got saved. I'm listening to Highway to Hell. And I said, ah, it's just something, something wrong here. This doesn't make sense. I'm now on the highway to heaven. And I'm listening to, to someone sing about going to Highway to Hell. That's what really bothers me when I go to a Christian school at a baseball game. And they're playing Highway to Hell. And I'm thinking, go figure. I mean, and, I, I, and they can't figure this one out. There is, there's a problem here. There's, there's a, there's a, anyways, whatever. So, so God took away my, my satanic rock. And then, then he, he takes away my acid rock, you know. You know, and I remember throwing away Blue Oyster Cult and, and, and literally almost hearing verbally, don't fear the reaper being sung to me, you know, and being drawn to, listen one more time, listen to me. And I, no, I can't do that, you know. And so that part went away. And then all of a sudden, you know, the rock, you know, and some of you are saying, really, there's a problem with that part? Anyways, the rock went away, you know, the pop rock and that kind of stuff. It wasn't glorifying to God. Whether you eat or drink or whether whatever you do, include listening to music, it's supposed to be done to the glory of God. Isn't that what he just said in Romans 15, verse 7, about receiving one another to the glory of God? Whatever we do is to be done to the glory of God. So whatever I listen to should be to the glory of God. It should be seek, it should, I should be seeking to edify myself in Christ through it, not destro- destroying myself. Well, if these things were destructive in their things, so God, what I'm saying is God in his grace continually took me through a cleansing process. Do you understand? Show me my abhorrence to himself, because sin is a a stench in his nostrils. I mean, if I could describe what I smelt like then to him, we'd all leave the room. But honestly, it's the same for all you. You're abhorrent in your sin in the nostrils of God. That's how God describes it. But God continually cleansed me and, and brought me. I would like to tell you that I'm, I am the living epitome example of Jesus Christ now. You know, None of you got the beard like I do. You're getting closer, Chris. You know, you got a good little on the top. But anyways, um, but we know it's not a physical thing, right? It's the, it's the heart. It's the mind. And I look forward to the day when I'm going to be what? Transformed totally to be like him. Well, if I know that about me, I need to recognize it about you as well. Is that true? So in this exception now, though, when, when doing this, even though I'm going to receive you, the fact is that there are going to be those areas that you're just not strong on yet. And you may want to continually what? Debate me about it. This is not for me to give in on those areas. Do you understand? It's not for me to say, well, okay, that doesn't matter. Or, I'm going to debate you right now. It's just to let it go. Just to, to let it ride. 
to move on, knowing that what? In time, you're going to what? You're going to change, but even if you don't change, you're going to grow. I mean, some of us today in here right now, we don't agree on on music standards. We don't agree on on the use of alcohol. I could. We don't agree on clothing styles. We may not agree on hair lengths. But there are areas where the Bible doesn't give us a specific, thus saith the Lord. It gives us general principles. And now we are seeking to do what? Hopefully, we are all, all are seeking to glorify God. I hope it's in your heart that you care what God thinks about it, okay? And not just what you, what's pleasing to you, okay? If that's really where you end because this is just what you like, then you're wrong. I mean, straight off the bat, you're wrong. It's not a debatable woman anymore. But if it's what you think is pleasing to God and what you're seeking to do to glorify God, then we may, we're going to have to agree to what? Disagree on it. Why do we split over and cause fights over disputable matters? The reality is, and I say this about music sometimes, it could be very well be that I'm just a weaker brother, and I'm very well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad to admit that. Maybe I'm more spiritual. That's, between, that's for God to know. But it may be that I'm, more, I'm weaker. Because of my background in DJing and, and having all these different types of music in my brain, you know, I was talking to Jessica about um, a situation this morning, a verse of scripture that she and somebody else were studying and asking about and, and had to do with demonic stuff and stuff like that. And, and back in my past, I mean, I watched movies that I, I shouldn't have watched, but I didn't know better back then, and they were satanic kind of stuff. And so I have all those things still in my brain. 51, I, did, I watched it 30-something years ago. You know, almost two-thirds of my life ago. But you know what? It all came up like I was sitting at the drive-in theater all there, okay? And and so I'd like to say, man, I'm, I'm free of that. And I want to protect my kids that they don't have that trash in their brain. But the fact is it's in my brain. And so I know with the same thing with music, it may be that I, I react a certain way to music because I'm a what? I'm a weaker brother, okay? And maybe I, I can't handle certain things because... I'm the weaker brother, and every time I hear certain things, it brings up trash music. Does that make sense? I'm willing to admit that. I don't think it's the case, but but I'm okay with it being the case. If it is, it's still the grace of God to me. He still loves me, and I don't really care. Okay. But I'm not going to fight you over it. I'm, I'm. This is what I believe. This is what I. I'm going to show you what I believe about Christian liberty and how it applies. Instead of why can't I? I'm, I I boil down to why should I? Okay. Just in a nutshell. And then I'm going to leave it go. You make your own call. Because, again, like Romans 14 says, you're not going to ultimately give an account to me. You're going to give an account to who? You're going to give an account to God. God's going to be the one that judges you. Now, that's disputable matters. But there are also then a higher thing, and that is disciplinary matters. Discipline matters. Well, these are then issues that are not necessarily the quote-unquote gray areas. These are that are what? They're black and white in Scripture. Okay? And... I'm not supposed to receive you in your sin. That was really kind of neat this week. Um, I didn't share this as a testimony, but I should have. You know, I've, I've prayed about opportunities to, to be able to continue to witness to, to um, customers, and I have this one customer I've been with an awful lot. And, and I've just been able to share so much. This week, um, got into the end time stuff, you know, and about, about Antichrist, and, um, and I was going through the, the seven heads of the beast, and actually the eight heads, you know, the, how the eighth head was there, and talking about the United States and prophecy and different kind of stuff, and it was really fun stuff. I, I just, I love when somebody asks me a question, and, and I can ramble for the next 15 minutes and give them an answer that they weren't looking for. And, um, and so, anyways, the person said something about, 
Well, now you got your message ready for Sunday. I said, oh, no, I'm not preaching on that. It was free. I said, so, and then I started telling them what I was preaching on today, you know, so I get to, get to do a second message. It was kind of fun. Anyway, and so, and I was talking about receiving one another and accepting one another. And the person said, this is kind of fun, then what do you do with homosexuals? Huh. Very intuitive. Even though they're necessarily exactly where we're at on this thing, okay, they are understood what most people do and that is it's the it's the what the loophole this is the loophole moment see doesn't the bible said that you're supposed to what receive me just as christ received me and and then you just say that while you were yet a what sinner christ died so you ought to accept me as i am oh and i go yeah that's you're right you're exactly right there's there is that part where it, it says that but you know it also says in scripture that we're not supposed to accept flagrant sin, sins that are in the public. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. Corinthians 5, and I want to deal with this real quickly. We're not here, but again, it's that caveat. It's that, exemption, it's that exception that I feel like we have to handle, because otherwise we go to the liberal social gospel route where we stand for nothing. Okay? And, and we have to stand for the truth of God's word. Even though we understand that people who come here are going to be sinners, and we initially receive them and we accept them as they are, the reality is we understand also that if God is true and working in their life, that there's going to be a what? There's going to be a change. Okay? Now, it may not be profound and as far as, but there's going to be continual change. And there are certain things in scripture that clearly are black and white. Okay? And, um, and I'm not picking on homosexuality right now, but I just, that was what that person said. And very clear, clear to me that one's a black and white issue. But here in 1 Corinthians 5, beginning of verse 1, it says, It is actually reported. It is actually reported. Paul is just astounded right now. It's actually reported. I cannot believe this is going on. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, which means what? It shouldn't be true. I shouldn't even be talking about this. You guys ought to figure this one out, right? It's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. In other words, I could deal with it if somebody's in your congregation and they're struggling with some sexual immorality. I understand that you're sinners, you're saved by grace, and, and God's doing a work in you. But this is something that the Gentiles wouldn't even do. I mean, the unbelievers find this abhorrent, and you guys are accepting it by grace. So he says, he says, named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged... Oh, wait a second. I thought we were not supposed to judge. I've already judged, as though I were present with him. And do you understand the same guy who wrote this is the one who wrote Romans 14? Okay, so just make sure this isn't a Peter and Paul thing, you know? Peter's not saying judge, and Paul's saying don't judge. Paul said both of these things. As though I were present, him who has done... So done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual, sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean 
with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an adulterer or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God will judge. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So the one who said, judge not, you know, that it's, it's you know, let, let God judge them. He wasn't talking about someone walking in flagrant sin, unrepentant, rebellious, flagrant sin. He said, listen, this guy is doing something that even the world sees as abhorrent. And you guys are okay with it. Someone comes to a church, they become a transvestite. Somebody said, why are we talking about here? And, there, and we, we, we just, we accept it. It's okay. Remember, I talked about the, the lady that I met in Kroger. Marsha was with me. I mean, I'm just totally dumbfounded. After 31, how many years? 31, 33? 33 years, her husband's getting a divorce. And I says, is, is he not going to church anymore or what? Oh, no, he's going to church. He still works the sound system. She's still in the choir. And I said, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, I'm, I know it's hard to see, picture me speechless, right? And, yeah, and, I, and I say the pastor's name. I said, what's he doing? Well, what's there to be done? He's not doing anything. Slap my forehead and say, I could have had a V8. I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking, do you all, I, I don't want to tell you what church it is, but it's a church by the name you would say they ought to know better. Okay? I'm thinking, do you guys not study the Bible? Do you not read the Bible? Do you not know the Bible? And if I told you where I knew this lady from, you would really be astounded because they potentially would know the Bible. And it's just amazing to me. I just, I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. What can be done? Like church discipline. I, I mentioned it. You know, it's not good words anymore, you know, but what about church discipline? You know, I mean, I think it says in God's word that he's supposed to love his wife as Christ of the church, and you're supposed to submit unto him like the church is supposed to submit unto Christ. And so regardless of whether he's wrong, you're wrong, or both wrong, I don't really care. I mean, I'm, you know, and I didn't say go further into that, but, you know, whether he needs to get kicked out of the church or you do, or both of you do, I mean, I, you know, the fact is something needs to be happening in this situation because all you're doing is condoning what? Sin. And you're wallowing in it. Now, I, I understand the big D, you know, the, the divorce thing, you know, is not one that we want to pummel. I, I understand that. There's mercy when someone comes in, they're divorced and remarried, and that's the situation in their life. But if it's happening right now in our assembly, it's not something that you're going to what? Condone. And if it's somebody coming from another assembly and they're just putting the discipline from that assembly, I'm not going to accept them here. And if somebody came here and they became a transvestite and, and we were holding them accountable, we're getting ready to have a covetous dinner in the back, right? What should happen? The person sits down at the table because they're unrepentant in their sin. The person sits down at the table. What should happen? Everybody else sitting at the table should do what? Get up and walk away. Oh, lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. You're exactly right. 
And I understand right now we're incorporated, and one of the reasons we're incorporated is to protect the church officers and, and you from lawsuits because they have to, to, to sue the, the corporation. But I also understand that one day all that's going to go away because of the way our, our, our country's going, the way the world's going to go, and we're just not going to be any family Bible church incorporated anymore anyway. We're just going to be a group of people sitting in a, in a house getting together, and you might have that transvestite sitting on your couch, or you may ask the person to leave. Or you may all go in the dining room because you're, you're, you're practicing biblical uh, shining and discipline. Does that make sense? But that's biblical. Now, here's the deal. What happened to this guy in 1 Corinthians 5? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 2 real quick. Because the purpose, the purpose of biblical church discipline, and do you understand that the word discipline is from the, the root of disciple. Disciple is from the root of discipline. They, they, they go together. And a discipline is a teaching. It's not spanking. It's not punishment. It's, it's the desire to teach is what church discipline is. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, Paul says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I may put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I did, for, I, for if indeed I have forgiven anything... I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So they hand him over to Satan that his, sin of, that his flesh will be destroyed, but his soul will be saved with the, the intent that he would what? He would repent. And apparently what? He did. But now the church is doing what? They cut him off. No, you're, and Paul says, no, wait, 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 you missed it. The whole idea of church discipline was restoration. You wanted to bring this guy back to the truth. He's repented. He's changed. He's sorrowful. Now, reaffirm your love to him. Receive him back. Accept him back. Full. Fully bring him back. So Satan now doesn't get the victory. Because now all of a sudden, if you let him go, what's he going to do? Even though he's sorrowful, but no one receives him, he's going to just turn right back to the sin. And he might as well go to the people who, who accept him. Devin? Why, why are gangs so prevalent? Why, why, why do, what do young men go to a gang for? Love, family, belonging, acceptance, yes? Would you put that word in there? They receive him for who he is. They may go through the, the kicking and the beating kind of thing to get beat in or whatever, but the point is they're willing to go through that so they can be loved, they can be accepted. People want acceptance. When they come into this assembly, it's the same thing. They want acceptance. However, we've got to be careful, exceptions, that we accept them according to the, the grace of God. Now, the exhibition of receiving one another. How, did this, how is it displayed? You know, How do we portray receiving one another? You ready for this? This is where my German side steps aside and allows my Croatian side to take over. Okay, You understand that... I'm a bipolar individual. You just don't. You just don't know that. I've got 25% Croatian, which is the ro the romantic, it's the gypsy side that's in me. Okay, which wants to be 
um, flamboyant and, 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 and all that kind of But I got 75% German in me that kind of tries to squelch the other part, you know. And so many of you see me as the stoic and order kind of person. But, but if you're in my family, you also, you, you know that there are moments when that Croatian side just kind of, it, 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 it busts out, you know. And um, it just, if you're around me long enough, it just, it, it just can't help the holy kiss. Now, if you, if you were there years ago, and mo- many of you weren't, Mike McGowan and I got to, to uh, demonstrate this for, for, for some. Mike had a nice burly mustache on and everything, and, and I was talking about the holy kiss, and somebody was, was talking. And so Mike and his burliness and I, we kissed each other in the cheek, you know. And, uh, and now you've got to understand, I mean, you've got two burly guys, you know, you know and the people are like, ah! You know what? That's only our culture. In that Oriental culture, in most other cultures, this is very natural. For two guys, Debbie, you want to demonstrate with me? No, okay. <laughs> Chris would. I know Chris would, but I didn't stand on the chair to get up to him. Anyways, uh, two guys come up to each other, and they kiss. You know, it's not on the lips. It's, you know, it's, it's none of this weird stuff. It's a, a greeting. It's a greeting of affection. Now, I understand that Judas came up to Jesus with the kiss of affection, quote-unquote. But it was what? Jesus said, really? Do you betray us, the Son of Man, with a kiss? What was he saying? This is supposed to be a sign of affection, and you're using it as a sign for betrayal. Ugh. You can at least point it at me and said, there he is. But you're going to come up? And apparently Jesus what? Allowed him. Did did, did Jesus know who Judas was? So even in that moment, even though Judas was his mortal enemy, he was the embodiment of Satan, because we're told that Satan entered into Judas. Right? So even as he comes into the garden, instead of Judas coming up, not to make it Judas, man, sorry for that, goes to give him a kiss, he goes, whack! And, and the God of all eternity smacks him into eternity, you know. He says, you can't kiss me, dude. <laughs> You're Satan. He allows it. Jesus has, still has the what? Affection for others, though he verbally acknowledged the fact that Satan was, or Judas was coming with what? Hypocrisy in his heart. I have passages there for you to look up with this holy kiss. It's over and over again that Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, I'm not saying we got to do that, okay? But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. John and I, in public, again, he's taller, and i got to kind of raise up a little bit. We'll hug each other in the middle of lows, you know? And I, I always want to be in the mind of other people, you know? When, when they see these, you know, you know, I'm usually in my paint-covered, stain-covered, whatever-covered, shirt, t-shirt, and pants, and there's the guy in his Lowe's uniform, and they're giving each other a big burly hug in the middle of Lowe's, and people are probably thinking, okay, you know. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's genuine affection to one another. I'm grateful to see him. Now, I don't do that some of you guys because I know you'd probably deck me, okay? John has some creation in his background someplace. and, and No, don't tell me German. As a German, you can't do that. Anyways. Um, so you got to have some some seeing you somewhere back. You just don't know it. It's, it was a recessive gene. It's coming out right now. And um, anyways, 
But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I want to train my boys still to kiss me every night when they go to bed. Sorry, I'm giving away secrets. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with guys showing affection for each other. We have an aversion that's based upon our society and based upon things that shouldn't be there. But the Bible does give us the out, and it does say once, does talk once, about this right hand of fellowship. Now, we love the right hand of fellowship, right? You know? and, but you know what? There are times when you don't want to give that right hand of fellowship to somebody. I met somebody this week that I haven't seen for years, for years, in Home Depot. And my first, my first reaction is, why do I want to shake hand? <laughs> you know? Why do I want to shake your head? But I did. Because of what? Because it's Christ, not me. Does that make sense? And then we stood, we talked. We had a good little conversation, whatever. But I acknowledge the fact that there's still something that's there. There's still, you know, a, a little wedge that's there. But the fact is, it's still Christ. It's not me. And when you come into the assembly, when you come into the body, I don't care what you think about one another. I do, but I don't, if you understand what I'm saying. I trust that God's doing a work in you as he's doing a work in me. But we need to get over ourselves and to, to, to look at one another from the eyes of Christ. And if I can't hear, how will I ever do it out there? And so when I see the person with all the piercings and all the tattoos and, and my, my, my inner revolt, you know, I'm not glorifying. I, I know that's it's an issue that Bob has to what? I got to deal with. I'm judging somebody based upon their external external appearances, and I shouldn't be doing that. God doesn't do that with me. But if I can't do it here, how will I ever overcome it at Burger King? Does that make sense? And that's who Jesus wants us to be. Let's say we got a table at a Columbia County function, and we're giving out free lemonade. Free coffee, free hot chocolate, just as a, a, a lure to get those little fishies to come over, you know, and we can give them the gospel. But then someone comes over that doesn't meet my, uh, my estimation of one who should be saved. <laughs> and so I just say, oh, yeah, here, here, here's, your, here's your lemonade. Just go away from the table. We don't, we, don't, we don't want others to see you around the table because they may not come. Do you get it? We wouldn't say that, but we what? We think it sometimes. If I cannot live it out in this assembly, I will never be able to live it out in the world. So I ask you, as I ask me, how are you doing at receiving and accepting one another? If you had a scorecard right now, and as you write something down, Jesus is going to go, <laughs> you know, or, okay, I can accept that one. What score would have to be put down? How are you doing at receiving and accepting one another? Now, I'm not talking about a generic thing. You look at, you think of the person you struggle with the most, okay? And that's the score you get. What areas of your life may cause others to stumble? Are you willing to set them aside in order to be pleasing to them? Whatever it is. It could be music. It could be something you eat or drink. It could be someplace you go. It could be something you do. But is there something in your life that potentially is a stumbling block to others. And you just avoid being with them because you don't want, you still want to do what you want to do. Okay? 
Are you willing to set it aside so you're not a stumbling block to others? And finally, how would you rate our church as we seek to balance acceptance and holiness? Our assembly as a whole. You know, if the Lord would grant us the facility and the property that we're looking at, and we're right across the street from Columbia Elementary, South Columbia Elementary School, and I'm excited about it. I really am so excited. If we start having families from South Columbia Elementary visiting the church, we could have wide ranges of families. How would we do at receiving them, accepting them into the body? They know Jesus Christ is their Savior. They just think a little bit differently than you do. Could you do it? You need to be able to do it. You need to be ready to do it. That's my vision. My vision for the body of Christ is that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free. There is neither public schooler or homeschooler. Do you get it? That we are across the board. There's neither black nor white. There's neither Chinese nor nor um, Latino. That we are the body of Christ. And that we don't have any of these other things that are there. That we accept one another. Can you handle it? We need to be able to handle it if we want to follow God's plan and his purpose for his kingdom. And we want to be the light that he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be your children, that you have adopted us and given us a name, that you have called us by your name. Lord, you have called us to love with a brotherly kindness. One another. To have an affection for one another. Lord, I pray that you would help us each, Lord, to be true to you in that. Lord, I pray that we would seek your face regarding our own inadequacies, that if there are areas of sin that we are clinging on to, that you would reveal them. And Lord, that you would purge us of those things, just as you desire for us to purge out the old leaven from the assembly. Lord, we want it to be purged out from our own lives, that the old will be put off and the new will be put on. Help us as an assembly of believers, Lord, to reflect that, to reflect you for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.